for the rest of us, once we've found the book of Revelation, if you want to find chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and then we're going to start reading just a moment in verse 7. Okay, here we go. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, In recent weeks, on occasion, we have been looking at these early chapters uh, in the book of uh, Revelation. The Apostle John has received uh, a vision of heaven, and Jesus has met him in this vision. And right here in the early chapters, Jesus has some specific messages to give to some real churches um, that existed in uh, modern-day Turkey uh, during the first Uh, first century, and we've looked through many of them, and to many of them, Jesus is saying a a well done, but then he gives them a warning. He says, here's how you're doing well, but you need to watch out because you're not doing very well in this particular area. And so then Jesus says, as well as a, a well done and a warning, Jesus goes on to kind of point them to the way ahead, and he leaves them with some wonderful promises. If you overcome, this is what I will do for you. Um, and so as we've gone through these chapters, we've kind of had to wade through some churches that, yes, they've had some positive things going for them. They've had some strengths. But my, there have been some churches with some difficulties um, as, as well. Now we arrive at the message to the church in Philadelphia. And thankfully, the church in Philadelphia is a good church. Jesus doesn't have to bring them any kind of warning about something they're not doing well or some sin in their midst. This is a church that is healthy and is doing really, really well. But it's a good church that is feeling vulnerable. Which is a bit like the city itself. The city of Philadelphia, which by the way has nothing to do with cream cheese uh, and nothing to do uh, with the Rocky films. I think Rocky Bilbao was from... uh, uh, Philadelphia. This is Philadelphia in modern-day Turkey rather than in 1980s Pennsylvania. Um, the city of Philadelphia was prosperous. It was actually doing quite well for itself. 
It was in quite a strategic location in between a few other cities. And so it was called the Gateway uh, to the East. They were an influential city doing quite well. But a few years ago, there had been an earthquake in Philadelphia, uh, which meant that the city needed to be completely rebuilt. Uh, Roman authorities helped out with that, and the city was rebuilt. But many people, perhaps they didn't actually feel all that safe living in the city. And so they decided they would settle in the countryside immediately outside uh, the city. So the city was doing well, but it was vulnerable. The church is doing well, but it's also feeling vulnerable. This church, well, it had avoided all the problems that some of the other churches that we've looked at had encountered. So unlike in Ephesus, this church passionately in love with Jesus and in love with each other. Unlike the church in Pergamum, this church is not giving in to uh, compromise, to sexual impurity. It's not giving in to false teaching. Uh, like the church, unlike the church in Thyatira, it's not getting, giving in to, to false teaching to do with um, spiritual authority and who should be uh, in, uh, in leadership. And unlike the church in Sardis, it's not getting lazy just thinking about its reputation Um, but growing kind of spiritually uh, dead. Now, this church has got many strengths, but they don't feel very strong. Um, That's the picture that we have here, a church that is commended by Jesus, but is feeling a little bit insecure. We see that in verse 8, for example. Jesus says, look, um, I know you have little strength. If we we look there in verse 8, it says, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. They've been faithful. They've been loyal. They've been hardworking. They've been um, loyal to the name of Jesus. Even when in the region pressures are coming on the church, they've been doing well. But they have little strength. You know, the church, the church in Sardis that we looked at last time, we realized was so kind of tired, sleepy, and dead that it was a church that wasn't really worth persecuting at all. This is a church, Philadelphia, that was very worth persecuting um, because they were doing so well. Perhaps by now, a little bit of weariness is creeping in uh, and a little bit of a sense of vulnerability, but Jesus is commending them. Verse 9 mentions the kind of pressures that were coming their way. Jesus writes to them and says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, we met these guys before when we looked at the church in Smyrna. And the church in Smyrna was the only other church that just got a good report. The church in Smyrna was doing really, really well, but they were under pressure. And it's like, yeah, they've resisted all the other temptations. They've resisted the temptation to compromise, to get into false teaching and whatever. They've resisted the temptation just to get lazy um, and focused in on their own reputation and comfort. They've resisted all of that. And so the enemy thinks, right, I'm going to have to try another tactic. And it's going to just blatantly be a very obvious approach. The synagogue of Satan. There were those in that town, who thought they belonged to God, thought they were Jews, thought they were God's people, and they were looking at this ragtag bunch of believers in this new church in Philadelphia, and they're saying, you don't belong to God. 
You're not, you're not God's people. God doesn't have anything to do with you. That's, it's rubbish. So all these accusations were coming their way. And that's more than just name-calling. Every playground has a little bit of name-calling. And uh, we used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Um, Well, these names may have hurt, um, but it involves more than that. Again, as we looked at when we saw the church in Smyrna, what would happen is that the Roman authorities would catch wind of this. Roman authorities allowed the Jews to worship in the synagogue in the way they would normally because they were a long established religion but anything new coming up would have just got stamped upon and literally they would have been persecuted physically they would have been hurt Um, in Smyrna and perhaps likely in Philadelphia as well people would have died in order uh, having kind of stayed true to the name of Jesus that was the the level of persecution that was coming their way so there's there's real vulnerability for this group, and they're feeling insecure. You know, when we feel vulnerable, when we feel insecure, maybe actually when we are ourselves experiencing persecution, but it may be pressure um, of other sorts. Did you know that we have three options with how we respond to that? Option number one is that we uh, rely upon ourselves. Maybe we kind of, other people might be trying to support us, and we know we should perhaps be spending some time with God, but we, we push both God and other people who might be wanting to help, we'll push them away. It's, no, this is just about me. I've got to handle this by myself. I've got to look to find strength within myself. Oh, but crumbs, I'm feeling weak. You know what? Oh, I just don't know that I've got it in me today, but it's, it's just down to me. Self-reliance. That's option number one. Which, by the way, is not a very good option. Option number two is, I feel really weak, and therefore I'm going to, I'm just going to look to other people. Perhaps I'm going to lean, lean on someone or lean on other people too much. I can't cope, but thank goodness you're here. What would I do without you? And that can be kind of affirming if someone is kind of bringing that to you personally, but actually that can feel quite draining and still if we choose to kind of respond in that way we're still not actually involving God we're still not actually choosing to rely on him and look to him and so rather than look to ourselves primarily rather than look to other people primarily we need to look to Jesus we need to look to him and that's what this church needs to do here and so right at the outset it's like again Jesus writes to this church, what what does this church need to get hold of in Philadelphia? They need to look to Jesus. And so right at the beginning, Jesus outlines them. These are the words of him who is holy and true. He's speaking of himself. This is Revelation. The book is called Revelation. Jesus is revealing himself to his church. And so the first thing we need to do is is look to him, pay attention to him. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Holy and true, in other words, Jesus is completely God and therefore also completely reliable. Completely holy, as we were just singing. Completely dependable. Completely trustworthy. 
Jesus is not a peg that will give way if you try and hang something too heavy on it. My theory is that every household has its own example of dodgy DIY. And as I look around, all the guys are going to be looking, no, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Um, Well, I'm going to push through that facade. It's my theory, or at least maybe it's just my hope, that in every household there's some piece of DIY you don't really want other people to know about. You obviously have to kind of fess up to your, your wife and say, yeah, it didn't quite go according to plan. Um, it, it's now on the wall, and it should be okay. <laughs> but just don't, don't hang too much on that peg. Um, it, it would just be a shame. You know, if you've got one of those really massive mirrors... You don't want to just put in a tiny little nail, do you, to try and keep that up on the wall. Yeah, guest comes in. Yeah, just take a seat. You should be fine sitting underneath the mirror. Yeah, that'll fine. That picture there, that should be okay. Um, Dodgy DIY projects where there's a peg and it kind of looks like it does the job. But you're not quite sure. And maybe if something really heavy gets placed upon it, That'll be the point that we realize, ah, oh, actually, it was no good. It was, it was vulnerable itself all along. It looked right. It wasn't actually strong. Jesus is saying, I am holy and true. I'm holy and I'm completely reliable. God is not a peg who's just going to slip off when too much weight is placed upon it. You know, Zoe shared that um, a testimony um, of what she experienced this weekend. This, this picture came, this, this word was shared um, of kind of women going along to this meeting yesterday morning um, with kind of like a rucksack on their back. It's full of rubbish and it's burdensome stuff that they shouldn't really be carrying, but maybe with a heavy heart, it's the, kind of the thoughts and the issues and the concerns uh, of life. I feel, I've, I've got to carry this. I'm not quite sure that peg can handle it, so I'm going to have to carry it myself. And God says, no, you really don't. Don't rely just on yourself and don't rely just on on other people. You can fully trust in me. I'm holy and true. Jesus also goes on to say, um, who holds the key of David? This is also in verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David? What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Well, what's going on here? What We've not come across this image yet. Sometimes um, in these messages, it's kind of borrowing back from pictures that we've already seen in chapter 1, but this is a fresh one. How do we understand this? What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Well, we need to look back uh, to Isaiah and chapter 22. In Isaiah chapter 22, uh, we meet a couple of people. One of them is called Shebna. And Shebna is a bad egg. Uh, He's very good at relying on himself. Uh, He seems to kind of uh, epitomize what what the nation of Israel was like at the time. They didn't really want to rely on God. They were just kind of going their own way with things. And Shebna, he's in charge. He's, He's got some authority. He's in charge of the royal household, as it were. So he lets people in, he lets people out. 
He says what people can do. He says what people can't do. God says, your time's up. I'm taking your authority and I'm going to give it to a better man. I'm going to give it to a guy called Eliakim. And then what happens in, uh, well, we can read in in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 22 from verse 20. uh, It says, in that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So in other words, responsibility and authority is going to be transferred to this guy who is much more reliable. He's going to receive the key of David. He's going to open the door, maybe literally open up the door to the royal palace for the people who are allowed to go in, and he'd keep the door locked for the people who weren't. Uh, Reading on, this guy himself, he's a good guy, but he's not a perfect guy, and he's not entirely reliable. But when that phrase is borrowed here and brought through into chapter 3 of Revelation, it's done so deliberately to say, well, yeah, what, what Hilkiah was better at doing having that kind of responsibility, opening up the way, allowing people in. Jesus is perfect at. And so when Jesus opens up the door, not into a big house in Jerusalem, but into God's eternal kingdom, if God opens the door to you, no one or nothing can shut that door. Which means that when you come to the point of putting your life completely into Jesus' hands. And when we first do that, it involves repentance, it involves turning away from the way we were trying to live our lives, trying to be in control of our own lives. We come to God, we recognize that the way we've been living is contrary to the way that God wants, which is called sin. We recognize all of that. We say, oh God, would you forgive me? At that point, Jesus says yes. And he opens up the door and he says, come into my kingdom. Actually, come into my family. You're, you're always, you, you always have this way opens. Not just the, the king of Israel. You have this way open to God, the king of heaven and earth. When God opens that door for you, no one and nothing can shut it. So Christ has this key of David which opens the door. Now, for these guys in Philadelphia, there are accusations coming their way. This is why it's so important they get hold of this. Because there's this synagogue of Satan, and they're saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? You know, maybe maybe today it would be the equivalent of saying, you you call yourself a Christian. It's lose-lose, isn't it? If you do something, that friend, schoolmate, colleague understands as being slightly weird because you're a Christian, which might have been coming here, that's weird. Then an accusation comes, you're weird. But if you do something that might be perceived as just normal, then back comes the accusation, oh, so you call yourself a Christian, but you're just like the rest of us. So you see, you you can't win sometimes. Accusations coming. That's what's happening to these guys. Accusations are coming their way. That they don't really belong to God. They don't really fit in. God doesn't really, God's not really concerned about them. God doesn't really want anything to do with them. They're just 
a bunch of weirdos. Well, Jesus writes to them to say, well, you're facing those accusations, but here's what I say. I'm completely reliable. I've opened up the way for you. And no one, even that fly, um, no one, nothing is going to prevent you from always coming to me. My door to you is always open. There's always freedom. There's always access for you to come to God. They really needed to hear that. So Jesus reveals himself. And Jesus also gives wonderful promises. This message is just one, it's a few verses, one big message, one way of saying this over and over again. You're mine. I'm not going to let you go. You're mine. I'm with you. I'm never going to allow you to be snatched out of my hands. You're secure with me. They were feeling insecure. They were feeling intimidated by these accusations and and the threats and the hostility and maybe the physical violence that was even coming their way. Oh, it's starting to get them down. They were feeling weak. God's saying, no, you're secure with me. And so he, he brings before them a whole number of different promises. And we can see that as the message goes on. And we're going to spend the rest of our time just looking at these uh, three wonderful promises. Promise one, number one, Jesus promises to protect them. Let's read verse 9 and 10 again. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. They're going to be, there's going to be a measure of protection. The accusations have been coming their way, but these people who've been making the accusations are themselves going to be forced to acknowledge and realize, actually, you are God's people. God does love you. They're going to be protected from those accusations and they're going to be protected from some of the things that are coming upon the world to test the world. This is not a promise, as I'm sure you'll understand, that the church is never going to experience any kind of suffering whatsoever. Again, we can just look back to the church in Smyrna and they were told in chapter 2 and verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Yet they were about to suffer some things. But God was saying, I'm with you. Here, um, the promise could equally be read, um, I will also keep you right through the hour of trial that is coming on the world. Yeah, there are some stuff. There are some unpleasant things that are going to be happening, but I've always got you in the very palm of my hand. Jesus, when he prayed in uh, John and chapter 17, uh, said something uh, that can help us to uh, appreciate what's being said here uh, in, in John 17, verse 15. My prayer, is not that, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That was Jesus' prayer for us. Lord, I'm not praying that you would just take them out immediately. Whenever, you know, when, the, when the going gets tough or the temperature gets hotter, I'm not praying that the church would 
immediately be removed from a challenging situation and just taken to glory straight away. It's more a case of, no, in and through what's happening, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be holding you. So kept safe, not always from physical harm, but kept safe from spiritual harm. Uh, one person writing on this, uh, on this book says this, We are not immune from the normal ups and downs of life. And how many of us can identify with that? We are not immune from the normal ups and downs of life, nor from persecution. But we are protected as children in the Father's hand. A promise of protection. And I wonder... When we do get to glory, when we are standing face to face with our Savior, if we are allowed to kind of see, see over the whole of history and the whole of our own lives, will it be then that we realize just how much we were protected from? Almost like having some secret agent, unbeknownst to us, Always around. Always aware of things that were coming our way. Because there is an evil one in the world. There is an enemy who wants to accuse and wants to oppose God's people and God's plan. But almost like having a secret agent who steps in to kind of thwart the plan. To bring protection. There will be many things perhaps that we get to know in heaven that we were protected from. But even right in the midst of challenge and difficulty, persecution and hardship, God is saying, I haven't given up on you. You're you're not going to be snatched out of my hands. I'm always with you. So Jesus promises protection. Secondly, Jesus promises us a permanent place in his household or a permanent place in his temple. We read that in verse 12 says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. A pillar in a temple, well, that's a permanent fixture. In fact, the, the temple itself wouldn't be standing if there wasn't a pillar to keep it there. In other words, we are not going to be a dodgy piece of DIY in the kingdom of God where maybe we could snap off if a little bit too much weight were placed on us. Jesus is saying, no, you're, you're not an insignificant piece of my house. Keep a hold of what you have. Keep trusting and keep believing in Jesus. Don't deny his name. Overcome, in other words, and I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. A permanent fixture. Totally integral to the temple itself, always a part of it, always a part of God's plan, always a part of God's community, both here on earth and in heaven when we get there. Our, our position, our place is never actually insecure. This church in Philadelphia, understandably, felt a little bit threatened, felt vulnerable. Jesus is reminding them, your position in my Family, your position in my household is completely secure. Now I wonder whether sometimes we are better at spotting this for other people. 
Oh, I can see that he or she is a real, is a real pillar. They're definitely fully a part of God's plans and God's purposes. In fact, this, even, um, this phrase even gets used when, um, when Paul writes to the Galatians. In Galatians uh, chapter 2. At this rate, you'll find it quicker than I will. Um, so I'll keep looking. Galatians chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 9. Paul writes this. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. There are those who are reputed to be pillars. Well, it's obvious they're pillars. It's obvious that they're really a key part of God's kingdom and of God's church. Yeah, they're, they're the strong ones. They're the, perhaps the prominent ones. Uh, as we look around this building, we've got four kind of prominent pillars. Sometimes I wish they weren't there, but uh, when you're sat behind them, they can get in the way. But actually, it's pretty vital that they're there, um, holding up the rest of the building. Oh, yes, it's obvious. There are certain people... They're, they're the, key, the key people. They're the, they're the people who are at the core of things. Uh, those are the people who make things happen. Um, Peter, James, and John. Oh. Jesus is writing to a bunch of people who felt weak. And he's saying, keep going. Continue your faith. You're, gonna be a, you're, you're a pillar. It's going to be revealed in, in glory. You're, you're a pillar. Sometimes accusations can come our way. When we feel threatened, when we feel insecure, we can kind of shrink back. We can shrink back from other people. We can shrink back from the church. We can kind of think, well, I, I'm not quite sure. No, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to be missed. I'm not going to get involved. I, I'm just, well, I'm just going to look after myself. Maybe, maybe I'll get through. Um, I, we have to be a people who are ready to throw off those accusations and lies of insignificance. Throw off those lies that, uh, yeah, well, for now you're in, but maybe later on you'll be substituted for somebody else. God's kingdom isn't like that. So when the enemy accuses us, and later on in Revelation, in chapter 12, that's exactly how Satan is described, the accuser of the brothers. When, rather than if, we feel those kind of accusations come our way when we feel like we don't have much strength, when some kind of pressure comes to bear upon us. Let's, let's be determined to fight those lies by seeing Jesus. We've seen him, the holy and true one who holds the key of David, and by listening to the promises he says. A, prom- a, a promise here. You've got a permanent place in my plans and in my kingdom. That's, that's the second promise. The third promise. Jesus promises um, personal relationship. Again in verse 12, uh, we're told, um, I will write on him the name of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name we in other words we we belong to god he writes his name on us his heavenly community and jesus's name on us he identifies himself with us we are identified with him we see something similar um a few chapters later on in revelation in revelation 
chapter 14, right at the beginning there in verse 1. Uh, John writes this, Then I looked, there before me was the Lamb, Jesus, our Savior, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. In other words, the complete total number of all God's people who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. There's Jesus and there's everyone he's rescued. There's everybody that he has opened the door to and welcomed in to his kingdom. There's everybody he's promised to protect, which is another massive theme through all the way through Revelation. We read through Revelation, there are these bizarre descriptions of stuff that's going to happen on the earth. And in a whole variety of different ways, Jesus says, but my people will be protected. Right through the midst of it, my people will be in my hands. They'll, they'll be sealed. They'll be protected. They'll be held. These wonderful promises of protection, of having a permanent place in God's kingdom, in God's community, where it's personal, where God himself writes his name on us. You're mine. You belong to me. That name is not going to get rubbed out. It's not going to get crossed off. I'm not going to forget you. I'm not going to forget what I've done in your life. We belong to him and we are loved by him. Those people who are bringing accusations to this church, they themselves are going to have to acknowledge that I have loved you, says Jesus. Yet right through the midst of their weakness and their vulnerability, Jesus writes to reassure. Jesus speaks to reassure. Jesus reveals himself to reassure them. When the church is doing well, but feeling vulnerable, Jesus knows exactly what we need to hear. There are other churches, as we saw last time when we looked at the church in Sardis, who needed this big, loud wake-up call. Come on, sort yourselves out. Wake up. You're in danger of dying. Maybe I have just woken some people up. I'm not quite sure. You weren't expecting that. Um, some churches need to hear that. This church in Philadelphia. Oh, sorry. There's probably children sleeping out there. Go back to sleep. <laughs> um, you can wake up later when it's time. Um, this church in Philadelphia doesn't need that kind of stronger wake-up call. It doesn't need that kind of treatment. Jesus knows exactly what they need to hear. When there are so many things going on, so many things changing, when, when we can be hurting physically or in any other way, Jesus says, look to me and listen to what I say. Look to me who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When I open the door, no one can shut it. When I shut the door, no one can open it. Look to me. Look to me and listen. And he reminds us again of these things that don't change. This solid ground on which we can stand. Jesus doesn't tell this church off for feeling weak. When perhaps a few doubts had crept in. He reminds this church, and today he would remind us, that we do have a real enemy, 
uh, called Satan, who accuses and brings persecution, who wants to make life for the church difficult. And actually, we can take some encouragement from this, that actually, when persecution, when trouble comes, it's kind of an indication that we're worth troubling, (laughs) that we're worth trying to intimidate. That God's church is worth trying to unsettle. Because if this people continue, as it says in verse 11, I'm coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. If this church holds on to what it has, if this church perseveres and presses on, if this church continues to honor the name of Jesus, even amidst accusation and challenge and hardship and persecution, Just what a church. What's going to happen? This group of people who themselves have experienced the door of the kingdom being opened for them. But if this church continues, holds on to what it already has, perseveres in all the midst of this, who else are they going to draw through the door with them? Will there be other people in their town, city, kind of acknowledging, I've just seen the way you're living your life. I've heard what you say. And actually, you've got integrity. You really are walking with Jesus. I think I've got to acknowledge God loves you. God's real. And I want to come with you. I want to follow. And Jesus opens the door to his kingdom for more people to come through. The church needs to continue. The church needs to get its eyes fixed on Jesus still. And to remember that they are secure in his hand. As we just looked at, protected permanently in personal relationship with Jesus. Once opened, the door granting us access to God does not close. He's always available. And if the church can keep hold of that and persevere in that truth, surely there will be many more people who will head through the same door, the door of faith. Let's pray.